from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, dear listeners. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Mm -hmm. We're very happy to be with you and very happy to be alive, up, and walking around. And healthy. And healthy because just recently... We had one of those nasty, my mom used to call them spit-up bugs, but I've, I've learned as an adult that not everybody knows what a spit-up bug is. No. My what? mom always called it an intestinal virus. How about that? I don't know why she chose that expression. Intestinal vi- <laughs> we had an intestinal virus slash spit-up bug uh, yeah. go through our family, and we were, oh, Lord, have mercy. And it was really, really nasty and uh, not fun, and I thought I was spared, and I was going on a trip to, uh, gosh, I don't even remember where. Um, Oklahoma. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was scheduled to go do an event out in Oklahoma. So sorry, Oklahoma. It didn't happen. It didn't happen because the night of, I was going to wake up at 5 a.m. to go to the airport. Yeah. And it started That's around 1 a.m. I was like, oh, here it comes. Oh, I'm so sorry. But praise the Lord, I was not on an airplane. Yeah. Ah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I have I have actually been sitting next to people on airplanes. When you travel for 25 years, you have some interesting airplane yeah, experiences. That's true. I have I have been sitting next to people when they've needed the vomit bag, uh, which is not a fun experience for anyone. Aww. So I'm glad not only I was spared, but I'm glad the other people on the airplane were spared yes. my Thanks, Lord. Nastiness. Oh, it's just our human weakness. We all go through those it's times. It's so of- violent. I wouldn't wish yeah, it on suffering. anybody. It really is. Why? It really Why, is. Lord? It's so hard. Yeah. If anybody out there is sick right now, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Somehow there are <laughs> lessons in it. I One of my lessons that I took away, remember you brought me those ice chips? Yeah. Our routine as a family is we wait four hours yeah. from the last vomitous episode and then we allow ourselves some crushed ice chips and I just teared up instantly having that cool sensation on my it was a taste of heaven isn't that amazing to be so stripped of all comforts so that a little piece of ice on my tongue was just exquisite Mm -hmm. delight Mm -hmm. it was a it was a little lesson for me Mm -hmm. thank you lord for ice chips yeah wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it did give me some lessons. Thank you, Lord. Um, that said. <laughs> I'll just share, too, when I had it as I was in my recovery and just needing to rest because it was followed by a fever, so you couldn't just bounce back from it. No. We had another day of just feeling miserable besides, you know, the actual hit of the initial grossness. Um, but when I was recovering, Grace and I were recovering at the same time, and we watched a favorite movie together that I'll just share with you. It's called Babies, and it's a Ooh. documentary about the life of a baby. And it just travels with four babies around the world from their birth to their kind of their first steps or first birthday around that time. Now, why would you or our daughter Grace be interested uh, in that? I you know can't what? figure that out. You know what? It's beautiful. It's such a <laughs> sweet, sweet movie. It just it's not narrated. There's no script. It's just I hope people call lives. my sarcasm there. <laughs> lives of babies. One's in yeah, a remote part of Africa, one in Mongolia, one in Tokyo, and one in um You and San I watched Francisco. that some years ago, didn't we? Yeah, it's not my first time seeing it. It's yeah. probably like my 
fourth time or something, but I, it really is a happy thing for me. So that was, that was a little treat <laughs> with Grace. Shall we go on? Sure. After sharing our vomitous episodes? Yes, yes. I'm going to just go on to something much more pleasant, like God is good here. Okay. Uh, we have a question from a listener named CJ. Hello, CJ. Who says, I was recently in adoration reading the Song of Songs. I found myself very uncomfortable with what I was reading. I know these words demonstrate the love between Christ and his church and the ideal love that could be shared between spouses. However, as someone who has suffered from sexual abuse and toxic mm. relationships, mm. I can't seem to read these words without shame, mm. especially the parts describing the body. How can I begin to believe in my core that Eros and Agape love is real and receive it from the Lord? Mm. Bless you, CJ. Thank you for making yourself vulnerable here. Can you tell from the context, is CJ a man or woman? Do we know? Uh, I don't know. Okay. CJ, there is in all of us a shame connected with our bodies. It goes right back to the fall, right? Before sin came into the world, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. The first result, however, of original sin is this hiding. And we're not hiding our earlobes. We're not hiding our kneecaps. We're not hiding our big toes. Although maybe sometimes we might hide something if we have some disease in our big toe or some <laughs> bulbous growth on our earlobe or something. But my, my, my point, we, we, the shame, <laughs> sorry. My point is that our shame is directly connected with those parts of our body that distinguish us from the opposite sex. And these parts of the body are described in, in beautiful metaphorical language in the Song of Songs. It's very, very explicit in that sense. And John Paul II says something very important for us here, I think, in our conversation, in our answer to your question. He says, it's as if the lovers in the Song of Songs, and, and let's just make this point, make it clear. First and foremost, the Song of Songs is the erotic love poetry of a married couple. We have to understand that as the foundation, and then we can enter into how marital love is a sacramental sign of Christ's love for the church. So we can't just skip over the lovers, John Paul II says. We can't just pretend those lovers didn't exist to get to the spiritual reality. He says, we, we needn't ask forgiveness of the body. The body is what leads us to the spiritual mystery. This is the whole principle of theology of the body. But this is a very important point John Paul makes in his reflection on the Song of Songs. He says, it's as if the lovers exist in a world without sin. It's as if we're looking at the love song between man and woman before the fall. Mm. And he says that what, what we see in the book of Genesis in just a few short words, at last you are the one, bone of my bone, flesh of my mm -hmm. flesh. He says, it's as if that sentiment of Adam's heart is, is unfolded in a full song of his heart. And we also get to hear the bride's response. So it's as if they exist outside this realm of shame. CJ here in reading the Song of Songs is confronting not just the history of shame in, in the sense of the inheritance of original sin, but CJ is also confronting his or her own history of shame and struggle and difficulty. The question is, how can CJ 
return or rediscover the goodness, the holiness here without being burdened by that, that shame. Well, here's the good news, CJ. Christ came into the world precisely to bear that shame in his own body and to come out the other side in a new creation. Christ, it says it right in scripture, when he was raised from the dead, he left the grave clothes behind. And the fathers of the church, the saints throughout the centuries, and even the catechism today says that this leaving of the grave clothes behind in the resurrection is a symbol of a new creation. Christ comes out of the grave here. The symbol is Christ is coming out of the grave naked without shame. It's a new creation. Mm. How do we enter into that? We have to let Christ into those painful places. We have to let him into our own painful histories and memories. Uh, I, I can think of hundreds of stories I've heard over the years in my own journey here. Uh, just recently, I, I remember, uh, maybe it was a year ago, I started a, a new phase of, of my own inner healing. Memories were coming back to me from my teenage years, very mm-hmm. impressionable memories about my going through puberty and my desires and experiences I had with teenage girls. And and it was, it was painful to look at these again, but I, I remember opening these memories up and letting Jesus and also letting Mary. We have in Christ and in Mary, we have the new Adam and the new Eve. Neither one of them ever knew this shame in their bodies. We have in them the perfect model of masculinity and femininity. And we, we might put it this way just to give us, give, give us a sense of hope. When, when CJ was reading the Song of Songs, the experience was one of of difficulty, of struggle, of shame, of connecting this erotic love poetry with painful memories and painful experiences. Well, when Jesus and Mary read the Song of Songs, and ultimately the Song of Songs is all about them, Christ is the bridegroom in the song, and Mary is the bride. This is the church's understanding. Uh, The mystical understanding is that Mary is the woman of the song, and Christ is the bridegroom of the song. They don't blush. They don't have those hiccups. Mm. They see the beauty. They rejoice in the beauty. And they can teach us to rejoice in the beauty as we open up those painful places in our hearts. Let that light and merciful healing oil, if you will, into those wounds and let the Lord, let Jesus, let Mary massage that oil into those wounds we can come out the other side. It's not an easy thing. It's not an immediate overnight experience. But as we make that journey, we can really come into new freedoms. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I'm so impressed with CJ and the just the insight to say, okay, I'm reading this and it's affecting me and it's bringing up pain for me. But this isn't necessarily a sign of, something wrong with what I'm reading, but some wound in my own heart and history. And that very insight is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is. Well said, Wendy. And you're you're already, you know, just on that journey of recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit to give you an insight about your story and your body and the bodies of 
others and how they're affected by sin. So, I think just to affirm that already is a huge step that so many people have never made that you have already made. And then that desire that you have to really receive deeper affirmations and expressions of love from the Lord in ways that you can see you're not able to receive them yet, I think, to have that desire awakened and let Him lead you on that journey step by step that will enable more and more of His love to penetrate is a beautiful desire that the Lord has planted in your heart. And I know in your sticking with it in your own journey, there are going to be beautiful moments of grace, just as Christopher described, you know, very recent ones, even though he's been on this journey for a long time, the Lord keeps keeps going deeper in our hearts. Yeah, there's always more, and there's always hope of healing, but there's a painful process of opening those memories, and and we can, we can be afraid to let Jesus in there. Uh, we can be afraid to let Mary into those experiences and memories because we think, and rightly so, they're oftentimes very sinful situations and memories. But remember, Christ takes that on. He takes on our sinfulness. He takes on our pain. He takes on our wounds. And we have to, to take him at his word that he wants to save us. He wants to take on those memories. Mm-hmm. And I know I've been speaking kind of in, in metaphors, like letting the oil into those wounds, you know, or using imagery here to, to, to get us to a spiritual truth. It, it's, it's hard to speak to these deep inner realities of our hearts because they're so mysterious. Even the Song of Songs itself uses metaphor to get to these deep spiritual realities. So, I I hope people don't take my imagery or metaphor as something impractical. It's, It's quite practical, the advice we're trying to hold out in terms of getting yourself in a prayerful place, a quiet place, One of my favorite lines in the New Testament, when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door. So CJ, I just recommend take some quiet time alone in a safe place where the the door is closed and you're alone with the Lord and you can maybe journal out some of those memories, maybe write them out. What are the most painful memories you have? What are the earliest memories you have of your own understanding of your own body or the body of others? Were there experiences that were particularly painful? Let the Lord guide you. Don't just go poking around in there. As my spiritual director says, go within with him. Never go poking around in those memories and pains on your own. But if you feel the Lord leading you to those places, open those memories up to him. And you could even imagine yourself, maybe Jesus is sitting with you. Maybe the Blessed Mother is sitting with you and you're in conversation with them about those memories. You share those memories, and then you pause, and you listen. With a quiet, open heart, you listen. Maybe you hear a little song in your heart. Maybe lyrics from a poem comes to your heart. Maybe a scene from a movie comes to your heart. Maybe another memory comes to your heart. Maybe you start to have an image in your mind's eye of the Lord putting his hand on your heart. It could be any number of things, but we, we need to train our, our spiritual ears to hear, our spiritual eyes to see, 
our spiritual sense of touch to feel, uh, our spiritual sense of smell, even to smell, our tongue, a spiritual sense of taste on our tongue to taste the Lord's presence, taste and see the Lord is good. This is the journey of, of healing those memories. Mm-hmm. Shall we go on? I think so. We'll leave okay. it at that. Okay. Bless you, CJ. You're in our thoughts. You're in our prayers. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There is hope. Here's a, a very succinct question for you okay. from Joseph. Joseph, from Joseph asks, what do you think about Viagra? Huh. What do Short I think about Viagra? <laughs> well, I think the the question, of course, is not what do I think about Viagra, but probably more what is the the moral teaching here that would help us understand is Viagra acceptable for someone to use? Well, who is this someone? Let's assume it's a married couple. Let's assume there's a married couple and maybe age or maybe uh, some other Health factor. Health factor, mm-hmm. disease perhaps, prostate issue or whatever it might be, is causing difficulties in the husband having an erection. There is nothing wrong with using a drug to help assist in a bodily function that is deficient, mm-hmm. right? So people can say, well, the church is against the pill. Okay, well, let's understand how the pill works. What is medicine and technology for? Uh, it's meant to be to assist the body when it's not working properly, right? So when a woman takes the pill to render her body sterile, Mm -hmm. it's working in the opposite direction. It's rendering something healthy unhealthy. If a person is blind and medicine can restore, medicine, technology, surgery can restore that person's sight, We're working in the right direction. If we use medicine and technology to gouge out someone's perfectly functioning eyes, we're working in the wrong direction. So erectile dysfunction is exactly that. It is a dysfunction. If there's a drug that can be taken to correct that dysfunction, we're working in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But if we take a pill, for example, a woman takes a pill to sterilize herself, She's working in the wrong direction. Interestingly enough, when the pill first debuted in the 1960s, there was a a movement um, in the medical profession among doctors who recognized, rightly so, that this was a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, which is a promise that used to be made, I don't even think it's made anymore, which doctors pledged, made a vow that they would never perform a procedure, give a pill or potion, I think was the language. It was kind of antiquated language. But they would never do anything that act against the health of a patient. And many doctors rightly recognize that to prescribe a pill to render a woman sterile, act against the health of the patient. So I hope that helps Joseph in answering that question. I just have couple quick things Please. to say, too. We have a friend who's a Catholic doctor, well, several, but one who shared a story that the challenge of, there are challenges in, in the moral practice of medicine in our world and people's um, tendency to sue. This doctor said that he um, had refused to prescribe Viagra to a, um, a man who requested it because he wasn't married. Right. 
And, you know, he's comfortable prescribing it for a married man, but not for one who was not. And, you know, that caused issues for him in his practice. I so, remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know quite how it resolved. Well, actually, he ended up taking a different job shortly thereafter. So I don't know what exactly happened there. But it, it is an interesting, you know, question in Catholic practice of medicine. Um, another thing I'd just like to say is that the principle here of helping our sexual function also applies to women. We think, oh, Viagra for guys. I don't have an equivalent medicine in mind, but the thought that a woman with, say, low sexual desire or mm -hmm. low responsiveness mm -hmm. should just deal with it rather than sharing that with her doctor or with someone that might be able to help correct that. Yeah, good point. Um, you know, that's important that we understand the dignity of the full functioning of our body, just as we Amen. would say that for a man's full functioning, for a woman's full functioning. So I just want to encourage the women out there that this also applies to you in a sense, that desire to be fully responsive sexually is a good desire. It's a healthy thing of our bodies. So. And there's a balance here too between we see, we see in these questions the touch point between the body and the soul. You know, sometimes our sexual dysfunction is not a physical problem, but a spiritual one. And it has a manifestation in our bodies. Mm. Um, sometimes it could be more on the physical side, but there's always an interplay between body and soul mm -hmm. in all of these questions. So, so thanks, true. Wendy, for adding that. Mm -hmm. Shall we go on? Yes, absolutely. Okay, a question from a listener named Justy. Hey, Justy. Dear Christopher and Wendy, what do you think is the right age to teach my kids about their body and sexuality? Very good question, Justy. My initial thought is to refer you to a document that came out from the Pontifical Council for the Family. Gosh, it might have... I think it was 97. 97, over 20 years ago now. Um, called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality. It's a beautiful document, and the subtitle is Guidelines for Education in the Family. And in that document, I think it does a very good job in saying to the effect, it's, it doesn't say it exactly in these words, but you shouldn't be waiting for some magical age to have some magical talk. <laughs> uh, that education in God's plan for making us male and female is a lifelong project. In fact, it says that education in God's plan for making us male and female begins at the moment of conception mm. and continues throughout the nine months in the womb and all stages of life. And it says this, it's a beautiful insight. It says, that the education is already happening in the womb when the parents receive that child as a gift mm -hmm. from the Lord. I'm thinking also of some insights I've read from Greg and Lisa Popchak yeah. about how the very earliest caring for a baby and the, the very physical bodily gift of parents to their baby, especially you know, if the mother is nursing the baby, the father is holding touching, bathing, all those physical interactions, they're, they're already communicating the body is a gift. Yes. And even the masculine body is a gift. The feminine body is a gift. So already that's the foundation of what we want 
ultimately to teach, isn't it? Amen. The body is a gift. Amen. We're meant to be given as an honest gift of love. I'd recommend, in fact, we'll we'll put it in the show notes, a link to Greg and Lisa Popchak's book called Beyond the Birds and the Bees. It's meant for parents, and it's a great read in terms of of how to pass on to our kids in a, in a lifelong way, this this integral education. So I, I would say to Justy, think of it as an integral education. There is a time and a place to talk about the the biological realities and, uh, for for lack of another term, the I don't even like using this term, but the plumbing, so to speak, about where babies come from, how how intercourse happens. There's a time and a place to have that conversation. We nurses would say the anatomy. The anatomy. That's a better, thank you. Thank you, Nurse Wendy. The anatomy. (laughs) I don't know why that term came to my mind. Anyway, the anatomy, exactly, to teach the anatomy. Uh, Obviously, you should be helping your, even little children, understand and honor their anatomy. And even in Diaper changes is an excellent opportunity to do that. I I remember when our kids were in diapers and I would change their diaper and I'd, you know, clean their bottom and clean their genitals and, you know, all the poopy scoop gets in those tender folds of skin. And I talk about how beautiful and how awesome and how holy their body is when Mm -hmm. I'm changing their diaper or giving them a bath. But that kind of positive language, how beautiful, how Mm -hmm. good, how wonderful. Isn't it awesome that God made your body this way? And, and also that boys and girls are, are different and different for a beautiful reason. We've also tried, and you know, our, I, I don't want to hold us out as the ones who's figured this out. We've had very uh, enlightening conversation with our older children now in their 20s about, you know, where we, we didn't do such a good job in some of these areas. We tried this or we tried that. And those conversations with our older kids have been healthy and illuminating and you know, I find myself kind of adjusting a little bit with our younger children on some approaches, but I think even our kids would agree that the prayers that we've prayed with them have been helpful, that I hope if our kids are listening that they would agree. Uh, we, when we would tuck them into bed, you know, we would just pray a, a prayer that all our kids by now could, could say by heart, it goes something like this, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for making mommy to be a woman. Thank you for making Papa to be a man. Thank you for calling us to the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for bringing John, Paul, Thomas, Beth, Isaac, and Grace into the world through Mommy and Papa's love. Uh, Help the boys to grow into strong men to give their bodies away in love. Help the girls to grow into strong women to give their bodies away in love. If they're called to marriage, please bless their future spouses. If they're called to give up their bodies in a celibate way, please prepare them for that vocation. So just that language is very normal for our family and and find your own language. If that language works for you, feel free to use it, but find your own language to to pass on to your kids in an ongoing way, the goodness, the beauty, the splendor of God's plan for their bodies. And we really do have a responsibility here. I, I repeatedly ask my audiences, I'll say, how many of you were raised in a Christian home? And I get about a 98% response. And then I'll say, how many of you would say that in your Christian upbringing, there is open, honest, normal, healthy conversation about God's beautiful, wonderful plan for sexuality and erotic desire? And I get about a one to two percent response. Mm -hmm. 
it's telling. We're, we're, it's, we're afraid. We're, we're, <laughs> we don't have the language. We're not sure how to talk about it. But parents, we have a duty and a responsibility to press into that difficulty and find a way. If we are not doing our best, and we're not going to do it perfectly, Wendy and I don't do it perfectly, but we got to try. Mm-hmm. If we are not doing our best to lead our children to the banquet, they will go to what I call the fast food approach to sex, which is on display everywhere. We are hungry. We are made with this hunger and desire for a reason. It's meant to lead us to the banquet that God has for us, the eternal banquet of the marriage of the Lamb, which is lived sacramentally through marriage and lived by way of anticipation also through the celibate gift of self. We are made for this banquet, and if that banquet is not unfolded for us, we're going to take the hunger hunger somewhere else, and it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So take up some of those resources. Again, the truth and meaning of human sexuality from the the Pontifical Council for the Family. You can find it on the Vatican website. We'll, we'll provide the link in the show notes. And Greg and Lisa Popchek's book, uh, Beyond the Birds and the Bees. And please, if you haven't, please read Good News About Sex and Marriage, which is 150 questions and answers to all the hot-button issues on the church's teaching. That will help you tremendously in passing this good news on to your kids. Any other thoughts you want to share, Wendy? Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I know this listener asked for a, a specific age, and I think some of that, you know, our initial answer is like, you know, we're, we're beginning at the beginning. Yeah. It's in our children's whole life. Some of the more specific questions about, I'll say this, for us, we have not wanted to link understanding marital union only in terms of where their sibling has come from, but as the expression of our marriage and our special affection, our bond with one another, that that's what yes. brings babies about, but it's not the only purpose of that marital union. That's been important to us to communicate. And also, I think the age somewhat depends on what your children might be exposed to in their own right. um, school and social environments. And there is a certain awareness on the part of parents when something is troubling a particular child. How do they behave? How? What are the signs when they've come home from a friend's house that something's on mm-hmm. their mind? Mm-hmm. All that kind of unique individual awareness comes into the timing, you know, and certainly, certainly before the changes of puberty, children should be understanding what they're anticipating, right. what's coming um, as they grow and why, you know, what the Lord's plan is for all that. So that's not a specific age, but I'm just trying to get at a little bit more of what you're looking for as parents. Yeah, it's hard to, to pin it down and say, well, this is the age to, to talk about the specifics of, of sexual union because every child is, mm-hmm. is unique. I think that the gradual approach, though, is so helpful, you know, because I think kids in general would report it as being sort of traumatizing to get everything suddenly at once. Yes, you know? yes. So using expressions like giving your body to one another, which doesn't really have a specific image associated right. with it, you know, but it becomes then a familiar concept, like laying a foundation for the more specific um, details of that, I think is is an important way to gradually open things up and there there are things you you learn as an adult that's okay yeah <laughs> you know yeah. you don't have to know everything 
we we've always taken the approach of if our kids ask an honest question, they're they're deserving of an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we give all the details, but right. we've we've never said you're too young to know that. We we would just put it in a way that is age appropriate with our own knowledge of where our children are. I'll just give one example of that, and it kind of ends with a funny story, which mm-hmm. I like to tell. So. Uh, John Paul, our oldest, he's 22 now. He was probably four or five years old, and I was giving him a bath, and he was pointing to his testicles, and he said, Papa, what are these? And I said, I said, those are your testicles, bud. He said, what are they for? And I thought, okay, well, that's an honest question. Uh, he deserves an honest answer. So I said, I said, well, bud, when you get to be a man, your testicles are going to make seeds, and if you're called to be a husband and a father like I am, you're going to give those seeds to your wife. And that's how you express your love for her. And that's where babies come from. He's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and then the next day, or maybe a couple of days later, he was driving in, in the car with you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you can report what he said. Yeah, he, he definitely got it that this all had to do with becoming a man. Right. And he said, so he was actually thinking about driving, being big enough to drive, I uh-huh. think, as he said, oh, mom, when I'm a man and the two nickels by my penis start to work, <laughs> I'm going to drive you places. <laughs> the two the nickels. Two nickels. <laughs> uh, and Wendy said, wait, don't, don't you mean testicles? Oh, no, no. Papa said I have two nickels down there. <laughs> to which I respond, to think that my son has reduced the value of the family jewels to 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's important as you can tell, to have, uh, as you can tell, I think, to have a sense of humor in all of this. If we can't look at our naked humanity and laugh a little bit, then uh, we have some other, other issues perhaps we have to look at. But anyway, I think that's all we have time for on this episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And as always, I'd like to invite you to consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. We need your prayerful support. We need your financial support to continue this work. And we have lots of benefits that we offer our patron community. So if you click the link in the show notes here to learn more about becoming a patron, even $5 a month would go a long way to helping us to get this message out to the world. We have a mission. We have a big vision. We want to reach the world as far as God can allow us to do so with this message. We have a multi-million dollar vision to get this out, but we don't have multi-millions. But if enough people who believe in what we're doing offer us five, 10, 20, 30, $100 a month, we can use that for great good. And we want to go out there with you and help you to become a missionary in this message of Theology of the Body. So we have ongoing formation opportunities for our patron community. So check that out in the show notes. And until next time, always remember you are an indispensable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.